Coming up on the Unusable Podcast. Design crimes from 2018. Hamburger menu hate. And how a computer forced me next to a naked man. Ooh. Happy New Year and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Mostly moaning about it when it doesn't. Correct. Hi, Dave. Hi, Andy. Happy 2019. Happy New Year. Yeah, we're getting old now. I was going to say that. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. de- what a depressing start. <laughs> anyway, yes, who are you? Who are you and what do you do? My name's David Ball. I'm a front-end web and app developer. Oh, I am Andrew Waite and I'm product owner of a SaaS product in Derby. By the way, can I just define what SaaS is? Because I had someone ask me the other day. Okay. And I realised that I always say that as my intro, but no one probably knows what that means. SaaS is a, uh, a CSS transpiler. <laughs> But it's not that, is it? <laughs> no. So in this case, it's short for software as a service. S-A-A-S. SaaS. SaaS. SaaS, which is fun to say. It means you've got um, a bit of sass about you. It, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sassy guy. <laughs> I'm a sassy, independent <laughs> woman. No, um, it basically means that the software platform that we make, we license that out to people on a subscription basis. So they pay a monthly fee. Yeah. Your customers are getting software as a service. They're getting it, it, a service it, of the software. Exactly right. Right, good. <laughs> it's almost like the, the words in the name mean something. Whew, well, I'm glad we've, uh, Cleared we've that figured one out. that all out. Yeah. So in this episode, we're going to talk about last year. So as we're recording this, it's January in 2019. So I found this article called The Worst Design Crimes of 2018 by Catherine Schwab. Very dramatic. This is a this is a summary of, of everything that was a disaster in 2018. Yeah, okay. So when it says design, everything kind of falls under design like... Visual design, graphic design, product design. Exactly. That sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Okay. First on the list, dongles. Do you know what I mean by dongle? Yeah. So like a little adapter that... I'm assuming that this is a reference to the latest iPhone that doesn't have a headphone jack. Yeah, yeah. And you need to have a little adapter or is it something to do with because now the latest MacBooks and other laptops don't have a separate charger you have to have a USB-C charger and then you can't plug in a monitor at the same time as a power cord unless you get an adapter and it gets into a whole well it was the first one but thanks for telling us all about the second So the latest iPhone doesn't come with a headphone port. Yeah. So you've got to get this uh, $9 dongle yeah. that will fit into your... U- what is it? Is it it's USB-C? Light- I think it's lightning, lightning? lightning connector. Okay. And that is... Because Apple hate standards. <laughs> Make up their own. Yeah, well, okay, fair enough. So this this bit of wire became Best Buy's best-selling Apple product of last year. Because people were breaking them or losing them and... I don't know, or maybe losing them. Because I, but... I assume you get one in a box in the box with the phone, right? Or maybe you don't. I don't know. I, I recently upgraded to the Google Pixel 3, yep. which has the same issue. It has My no Pixel head... 2 has the same issue. No headphone jack? No headphone jack. I thought yep. I still had one on the Pixel 2. Nope. Okay. So that is something that's very difficult to get used to, especially when I've got perfectly good headphones that... I can't use anymore suddenly yeah and so I've got to use Bluetooth headphones which are fine there's absolutely nothing wrong with using Bluetooth headphones it's you know I understand that technology has to sort of march forward but so there's sometimes where it's just more inconvenient because you've got to turn them on you've got to pair them especially if it's a headphone that you've not used before so say I want to borrow yours I have to sort of pair them and I know that doesn't take very long and that's there is a wonderful simplicity about just putting the jack plug in there exactly you there. know it's going to work I wonder if this is the reason why a lot of people are buying these dongles just because it's easier than having to mess about with wireless headphones true it's interesting because
because I did the other action that you take when you lose the headphone jack and bought some new headphones, which I think I, I yeah, I did talk about it on the last podcast, didn't I? Because that you was did, the, yeah. the nightmare of the, uh, of the Bang & Olufsen um, yeah. ones. But yeah, I, I took that as an opportunity to upgrade, but then I'm in the quite fortunate position that, you know, I have a bit, had a bit of money spare and I am the sort of person that would enjoy upgrading my headphones, but... All right, money bags, <laughs> but they're expensive. That's the but, thing. They're a hell of a lot more expensive yeah. than plug-in and headphones. And I guess but the thing is, I, I always thought that people who have the money to buy an expensive phone would also have the money to change their headphones. Very but, good point. But clearly, if the most popular Apple product from Best Buy in America is the little silly dongle, then maybe it's not. Maybe people... Get get the latest iPhone on a contract, for example, that's probably a stretch for them, and then they just buy a pair of regular headphones and plug them in. Is, is there a better solution? Like, should they have just kept the headphone jack in there? Because because the trade-off, right, is that you end up with a smaller phone, and you end up with a phone that's more waterproof as well, because there's less holes for, for water and dust to get in. Does anyone want a smaller phone? Most phones these days are massive. Seems like people want larger phones, or at least that's what they're selling. Yeah, but they want that space taken up with screen and battery life. I don't think anyone's going... Oh, I really wish my phone had more ports on it. Or maybe, well, maybe I suppose that's exactly what we're talking about. Maybe, maybe they do. do, do they wish clearly that. do. <laughs> Dodgy one about T-Mobile. They've mm-hmm. used a fake ringtone to make it sound like customer calls are connecting, even when they aren't. So this is a dark pattern because it makes you think that the phone's working, but actually you're just hearing a dial tone, even though it might not have connected. So the FCC found this out and fined the company $40 million. I don't get why this is actually that bad. Because if you were, say you're in the middle of nowhere, in, in the countryside, maybe you've had a car accident. I, I don't know. You really need to, to call someone and you call and it goes to a dial tone and you think, oh, it's definitely Not a dial ringing. tone, a ringing, a ringing noise. And the dial goes, tone's normally the one where you pick up and it goes, boom. Okay. And then you dial the number and it goes, ring, 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 ring. So it goes to a ringtone and... Not a ringtone, because that's when your phone rings and you've paid... Do you remember in nine, the 90s where you had to pay and send a tech, send an expensive text message to get like your favourite song as a twin? Sorry. Oh my God, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> that was stupid. Right, so what um, what is it then? The uh, ringtone. The thing that goes, not ring, 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 ring. That. I know what you mean. No, it does say ringtone in the article, doesn't it? Yeah. A ringing noise. Uh, yeah, go okay, on. So we it, know what you mean. So anyway. it rings. It sounds like it's ringing. Yeah. And you think, oh, they're just not answering. Why are they not answering? And if you've run some, something like emergency services, you'd be thinking, oh, well, clearly there's nobody there today. I'll ring that later. <laughs> Whereas actually, it's not ringing at all. It just hasn't gone through because of some problem with the phone, maybe. Or maybe the, the reception or, or something has caused it to not actually go through. So you're okay, being deceived. It, it is bad in, in a few circumstances, I guess. But it, I don't know. To me, that's quite an innocent, could be viewed as quite innocent in a way. But they were fined $40 million for, because it's deceptive. So at least somebody agrees that yeah. that's dodgy. I think it is dodgy. I guess, but I don't think it's $40 million dodgy. <laughs> Not compared to some of the things that the other internet giants are doing. Okay. Weird thing that Amazon Alexa started doing this year, last year, yeah, is creepily laughing at random. I remember the news about this. And how did they explain it away? Because apparently Alexa's listening and thinks that you've told a joke and so it started laughing. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. No. Well, it kind of raised a few questions about what Alexa should be doing in the first place. Should it be listening for jokes? Yeah. I know it kind of has to always listen for its name and we definitely don't want it listening all the time ever. Although that was one thing that 
someone realised it was recording their conversation and emailed it to a friend. Oh, because it had accidentally thought they'd said email this conversation to someone and then just picked up what they dictated. Possibly. I think I read that article. Did you also hear about, I don't I think it was Amazon? One of the internet giants got a freedom of information request. I think it was Amazon with Alexa. They got, not a freedom of information request, but like a, a request from a user, you know, like a, a privacy, data privacy request oh, to yeah. have their own voice clips sent to them. And they made the request and then they got someone else's clip sent to them. Ooh, that's bad. Which, yeah, raises questions, really. But they're just clips of somebody asking Alexa to tell it the time or anything. It's not actual recorded conversations. But that could be hugely private. If I yeah, think everything that, that Google's private. ever recorded that I've said... Essentially, that's your search history, isn't it? Yeah. Just your audio search history. There's a lot of, you know, say, for example, you search for, I don't know, something to do with getting a new job, for example, and then those clips somehow get into the hands of your current employer. That could... Oh, yeah. That could be hugely detrimental. Yeah, true. Do you want to hear about a bad design that affected an election? Yeah. So last year in America, the midterm elections. Now, I don't understand how these elections work, but every county can design their own forms. Why not just standardise it? Because everywhere is different. Yeah, but... The candidates are different. They might be asking for different things. Yeah, but you can still lay it out in the same... Like, you can have space for a however many options it could be standardised anyway but that's beside the point um, so on this form and this is a paper form it's not a not a website so there's three columns okay and what they found when they collected the results is that people missed a very important question in the first column and that's because the first column had lots and lots of instructions and then the question right down the bottom oh uh, okay and what they think has happened is that people have missed that because they think that the entire column is just instructions and then the questions asked are in the second two columns but this is important stuff right so 3.7% of voters accidentally missed out that section now that doesn't sound like a lot but if the race is close then that obviously is a huge deal yeah that could be quite a few voters that have just just missed out I actually had a couple of points that we could discuss so the first thing is the hamburger hamburger menu hamburger menu okay so and this seems to have got hugely popular in the past maybe two years year two years yeah i think so they've been around for a fairly long time but it seems like every website now uses a hamburger menu and so the reason why the hamburger menu is useful is because you can sort of collapse a menu hide the menu away and everyone knows by now that those three bars three horizontal bars mean menu well this is pretty much this is i believe the problem because i don't think think more vulnerable groups in society who aren't as up to date with technology would recognize that yeah and it's not it's not particularly menu shaped right it just looks like three lines yeah of course yeah i think it's overused i think people are lazily using it a lot because when you say people who do you mean web developers designers yeah designers and developers i think are using it lazily because they want to just keep a consistent navigation between mobile and desktop and so they just stick on a hamburger and stick it in the corner and that's job done i think you're right i think that's true I'm just reading an article here from Nielsen, which says that hamburger menus and hidden uh, hidden navigation hurts UX. I agree with that. Because you're hiding it behind the panel that slides in, right? Yeah. So the problem with hiding the navigation is that you're not showing your users all of their available options at the start. Yeah. So there might be a million pages for them to click on, or there might be only two. But they don't know until they click on that hamburger. Yeah. But I think just just the recognisability of that hamburger is is overstated. If I've looked at my mum trying to use a phone several times, and she's got an Android device, but she's not the most confident yeah. user. You know, I've said to her before, click on the menu button, and she'll go, where's that? And I go, the hamburger, and she goes, what's that? And I'll go, the three stripes. And she goes, well, how was I supposed to know? that it's not obvious unless you've learned it 
Yeah, of course. There's not just that icon used for menu. There's also three dots horizontally. There's also yeah. three dots vertically. Yeah. Which means that already there's three different types of menu. You could have the word menu. Yeah. But then that doesn't translate into other languages. As time goes on, if we standardise around the hamburger, it'll probably become less of a problem because people will learn it, right? Yeah, but- of course. But should we be hiding navigation in the first place? On mobile, I suppose you have to because you don't have enough space. One thing that is interesting about the the hamburger menu that some apps have started putting it, say an app for a phone, they've started putting it at the bottom of the screen now because some phones are quite large. And so if you've got the menu top left, for example, which is a fairly standard place to, to put it, that's quite far to reach if you're only using one hand. So your thumb might not reach all the way over to the top left. So if you put it bottom right, if you're a right-handed person, that's an easy place for it to uh, be pressed. Oh, that's an interesting idea I've just had. What what if in your... That's an interesting idea you've just had. You're not even listening to what I'm talking about. No, no, I I was, because you said said bottom right for someone right-handed, but what about a left-handed person? What about if you were able to set on your device your handedness? Okay. And then... Left-handed or right-handed, you mean? And then that was a, a property available in CSS or something, so that each website could tailor the navigation to be on the left or right, depending on the... That's an interesting idea. And other content. Imagine if your website, you could could be aware of the handedness of the person who's using it and could tailor the uh, content accordingly. We talked in the last episode about... Languages that go right, left right. to yeah, right, yeah, right yeah. sorry, right to left, yeah, yeah, right to like left Hebrew. Yeah. If you're left-handed, would you want the navigation? No, you'd still want... If you're left-handed, surely you want the navigation on the left. Yeah, I don't know. you would. Imagine creating a website like that with all the different variations. We've already got enough variations to start with. Small, mobile, medium-sized mobile, phablet, tablet, small desktop, laptop sort of screen, really big, wide screen. That's enough variations for a website as it is, let alone having to think about whether someone's left-handed or right-handed. I agree with you, though. I think that is something that should be an option. But if websites are being created by small companies, that's a lot of extra effort for maybe no actual gain. I found an article talking about a hidden option in Chrome on mobile. What it did is move the address bar to the bottom of the screen, which was way better. And this was like a hidden experimental option that you had to go to some weird um, address on your phone to enable. Right. And so you know normally the address bar in the browser at the top? Yeah. Well, that's just convention, right? That's just a long-standing convention. There's no browsers good reason for it, it being there because it's yeah. always been at the top. So what this option did it, on a mobile is brought that bar to the bottom. So it was really easy for you to just tap in there with your thumb. With your thumb, yeah. Okay. Which is which way better, but that was a hidden experimental option at the time. And is that not just a sign, though, that phones are too big now? If you no. need to start moving things to one side of the screen, then your screen's too big. Like, when I bought my Pixel, one of the reasons I, I got that is because I wanted a, a flagship Android device with the latest processor, camera, things like that. But I didn't want a huge screen. And I feel like the, I'm, the, I'm in the minority because all my friends are going and getting the, the big screen you know, flagship Samsungs and LGs and things that have got tablet types. Yeah, which seems to be the default now. And if you go, okay, well, I like that Samsung phone or whatever, but I just want a smaller one. You have to take a downgrade in the hardware. You have to go for a mid-range phone if you if you want something that's hand-sized, which I find really bizarre. But Google are still catering for that size market. And I think the smaller iPhone is still a reasonable size. I just feel like phones are getting too big when you've got to start moving things to the bottom so it's easier to reach. And the only good use case that I've heard for, for going that big is for if you for example do a lot of traveling and watch on a good phone for watching films on a plane I can see then that you'd probably compromise and go for something a bit bigger to have a better viewing area but just put it close to your face yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for most people like I'm pretty sure they're not going traveling that often and watching films on the phone that often 
Is it because people are doing more with their phones, they're expecting more from their phone? They want to be able to do, actually, actually do things, not just scroll through Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Or so you mean you think website. they're going to content creation and... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I'd go, personally, I'd go to a different device for content creation. I want my phone to be in my pocket, small. I take it anywhere. It should be discreet right i don't i don't want to have something that's barely fits in my pockets and that i'm can't use one-handed is that just me i feel like that's important i think a lot of people are using it instead of a laptop which means that you need to be able to do more with yeah yeah well mobile browsing two years ago now overtook desktop browsing so for some people it's their only gateway to the web i'm sure and also gaming a lot of people use it for gaming sure so you want sort of nice Screens to be able to see a rich... 3D graphics. 3D graphics. Mm. I feel like may- maybe the latest foldable phones, because that was announced recently, wasn't it, at, at CES, the technology show in Vegas that's Who going on. Who wants a foldable phone, though? No, but that would be perfect, right? So I wouldn't mind it if my phone that's hand-sized when I just pull it out of my pocket and I can reach all sides of it, if then I was going to watch a film or play a game, I could fold it out and have oh, a bigger screen, right? Oh, I see what you mean. Right? Oh, yeah, okay, that would be okay. Like That would be fine, as long as it didn't compromise other aspects of the usability don't want a big crease down the middle well i assume they've thought of that i don't know oh, i suppose so <laughs> let me just iron my phone <laughs> get the creases out <laughs> oh it's been in my pocket gonna... too long it's got creased <laughs> i had another thing that i wanted to talk about which i think is increased in prevalence and i'm not happy about usability wise infinite scroll oh okay yeah. So there are good and bad things said about infinite scroll. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about here, this is where you are looking at a list of items on a web page or on your phone. And as you scroll to the bottom, more load. And then you scroll to the bottom of that and then more load. So it's basically an infinite scroll. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's rather than how that would have been solved in... in oh, Sorry, another way of solving that, I should say. And a, an older way of solving it is to do pagination. So you get to the bottom and it says you're on page one of... 10 so press 2 and then you get to the next page right yeah or next or and next. you keep pressing next yeah, and sure, go through sure so the first website I saw this on was Twitter mm-hmm. where like you say you keep scrolling down and you never get to the bottom of Twitter because there's so much content And but that's fine you'll never need to get to the bottom but I've seen this on uh, other websites where you can never get to the footer right and the footer of a website sometimes is the only place where you can link to things like terms and conditions or the cookie policy or social media links yeah uh, that sort of thing but if you've got an infinite scroll actually it might take you a very long time to scroll all the way down to reach that content yeah that's true i think one of the biggest problems usability wise is that people can't at a glance get an idea for the size of the content right i've i've done this quite a lot where i've done a search on a website say for I don't know, looking at buying a house, right? You get properties, okay? And you get 10 properties and you scroll to the bottom of those 10 and you're like, I don't know whether I need to filter more okay, to filter these down or have I got a manageable set here of things to look at? But you don't know. You scroll to the bottom of the 10 and it loads 10 more and you scroll to the bottom and you're like, I don't know, am I going to get to the bottom of this list in, in a second or could I just be here all day? You've no idea about the size of the content that, like with pagination, you instantly know. Oh, if it, okay. When it says you 1, 2, the- 3, 4 and you know there's 10 items on the page, you know there's somewhere between 31 and 40 items whereas with infinite scroll there's not usually an indication of how many how many items there are to look at there could be 8,000 or there could be 
just one extra page. You know, there could be 12. There could be two more that you're not seeing. Do you need to know? I think in some circumstances you do. And I think that's probably something that someone who's implementing Infinite Scroll has to consider. Like, does the user need to know the size of content here? Infinite Scroll, however, is good for people who are using a screen reader. I've heard. Oh, okay. Because, okay, so a screen reader is, uh, so say you might be blind, Mm -hmm. but obviously you still want to use the internet. And so a screen reader is something that reads out the content of the page to you. Mm -hmm. So it will tell you where you are on the page. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a list of 10 items. It takes you through these 10 items. And then when it gets to the bottom, it says next to load the next items. However, by pressing next and reloading the page again means that you're starting right at the top of the page. And often at the top of the page, you've got things like the main title, the logo, the main menu, maybe a sub-menu. So you go through everything on every page. So you've got to go through everything again just to get to the list that you were looking at. Yeah, but still for those people they don't know whether they're going to be sat there all day going through to the end of the page. They could end up with a page that's 10 miles long. True. And they've True. got no idea. Yeah. The, the other problem I find, and, and I know some people solve this. I think Twitter does an okay job of this, but so often you see an infinite scroll where they don't implement back button functionality correctly. So you'll scroll down and it will endless scroll. So it'll load an, you know, a couple more pages of results at the bottom. Okay. You'll click on something, you'll read whatever it is or the article or whatever it is you're interested in. You'll press back and then it resets to just the first 10 items uh, and you're not in the same place in the list anymore you've got to start endless scrolling again to load more oh yeah because you could have scrolled down loads to get there exactly yeah and then yeah that's annoying so gdpr came in in 2018 right at the start of the year nearly yeah and so that meant that all the major news websites and things like that and well, most websites have now have horrible banners on <laughs> which i think if if there was a disaster in 2018 that should have been mentioned in the article that's the usability that like disaster of 2018 yeah sure the the internet being ruined with pop-ups i think any good that gdpr is trying to create has been completely nullified by all the horrible banners that we now have to click on or navigate around or dismiss everyone that i know of pretty much just clicks accept to get the message to go away people click whatever they want to just get rid of it it could say do you want to give away your firstborn child and they just go yeah whatever let me read the article they wouldn't even look at the message which means the whole thing's just fallen down completely yeah it has to be informed consent right that's what the the law said i think but you're not informed if you're just clicking whatever yeah i guess at least you've been given the choice though but yeah you're not really informed are you and this has given rise to as we mentioned on one of our previous podcasts, huge numbers of dark patterns where the button to accept all the evil cookies that are going to send all your data to Google is the big green button. And, you know, some of them are really nasty when you actually try and go through the options of not having the cookies or not not having all the advertising and tracking cookies set. I did one earlier today where I said I decided to decline. So I clicked the button to decline and went through different panels of settings to untick things. And then I pressed okay expecting to then be able to read the article that i was trying to read in the first place and it popped up a it then popped up a a different modal with a progress spinner (laughs) and it took like a minute at least of progress to retrospectively remove all the cookies that it had already set on my machine but is it actually doing anything or is it just punishing you for saying you don't want them i don't know i would probably suggest the latter (laughs) i i feel like it's a dark pattern right they want you to just click the big green because it doesn't it doesn't spend a minute setting all the cookies if you press the green button and it hadn't and i hadn't been on the site a minute yet so it couldn't have spent 
you know, if it takes a minute to remove the cookies, then surely it should have set a minute to set that many cookies. How many cookies are there if it takes a minute to remove them? Yeah. So, yeah, clearly, clearly it's designed to be as difficult as possible, which I kind of appreciate in a way. You know, these are news sites that make ad revenue. Yeah, of course, we're getting news for free. They have to get the money somewhere. A urinal has been announced that has a little screen in so you can watch adverts while you pee. I don't even know where to go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't even pee in peace. You're forced to watch an advert. Yeah, but you do, you kind of do anyway. If you stop at, if you stop at a motorway services. Oh, right. Okay. In the UK and you go to the urinals that you will be looking at an advert. Oh yeah. It's like right in front of your face, isn't it? Yeah. It's like right there. And it's usually something that would be aimed at people who are traveling, like some stupid trouser press or something like that. It's always something really terrible. A trouser press for your foldable phone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about if they made the urinal into a game where if you aimed correctly, it would do unlock something. But it was all part of a, a, a promotional game for something. What would it unlock? Give you a free, I don't know. free go at another urinal. Maybe, maybe you'd get a, <laughs> maybe then print out a, a little voucher that you could take to <laughs> print out to... a voucher from the urinal itself. <laughs> Who wants to touch that? <laughs> Taking some stinky little voucher to the shop. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Toilets. <laughs> what do you have to do to get it? Oh, I just had to aim at the. <laughs> the spaceship as it as it flew around the urinal oh that's what it is the, is it the, the you've you got crashing. to shoot a spaceship with your wee i don't know i haven't thought this forever another design fail from last year so mm-hmm. apple built a new office made of glass and on the first day seven employees injured themselves by walking into walls this is interesting I, maybe there isn't the same law in america but over here health and safety dictates there's some kind of regulation that means that you have to have manifestation on glass windows and doors when you say manifestation you mean little stickers yeah it's called a manifestation so you know if you've ever seen like on a big glass panel like those little dots that go along it or sometimes it's the company logo goes along it yeah and repeats that's not for design that's so that you can see that there's a panel there yeah and we had some glass similar to that installed in our office and when the people came to do it they said do you want no manifestation and they made us sign something to say that we would accept the liability and that we would put our own logos on it and things instead oh right okay yeah well in fact to start with they just started putting stuff on it without uh, without oh you were like, asking us and we're like no don't do that we don't want health and safety here <laughs> so after a few people walked into the glass walls mm-hmm. workers started putting post-it notes up so they're doing a DIY manifestation yeah but Apple bosses kept removing them concerned that they were detracting from the look of the building so they're more interested in how it looks than about people's safety I think that's quite common though Google Shopping has tried to prevent people from buying guns online, but instead block people from buying water pistols, music by Guns N' Roses, and the film Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Burgundy. Do you think that's been... Do you think that's gone too far? Yeah. Not really thought about that, have I? No. So last year, Britain's first robot shop assistant was sacked after a week. So there was a uh, a robot, and it was filmed by BBC. Robots called Fabio, aka Shopbot, was installed in a Scottish supermarket to greet customers, high five them, and give them directions. But Fabio was useless. He couldn't hear what you were talking about over like the background noise, and even when he could, he was really vague. And so somebody asked him where the beer was, and he just said, "It's in the alcohol section." <laughs> 
So I feel like useful. I feel like it's one of those things that if someone had actually just stopped to try it, yeah. that would have become apparent. Yeah. And they were so wrapped up in the idea of it that no one thought, let's see if it actually works. Yeah. <laughs> For 2019, apparently a buzzword is inclusive design. Okay. Have you heard this before? I have, but I don't think I can really tell you what it means. So inclusive design, I, I immediately thought that's just accessibility, right? That's so, what I thought so, it was. So because inclusive design, it's including everyone in the design, you know, including all potential user groups in the design process, right? So, yeah, so you, making... you're thinking about, yeah, anyone that might use your product, no matter what impairments they might have or Yeah, or make, yeah. making sure that people who are blind can use it with a screen reader, people who only have one hand yeah. use it. So I, I did a little bit of research. It's quite interesting because what advocates of inclusive design say is that unlike accessibility, where it tends to be an afterthought or an adaptation of an existing technology, inclusive design thinks about every user from the outset and they give quite a nice this website um which is e1time.com yeah e1-time.com gives a quite nice um comparison between inclusive design and accessibility they say while inclusive design considers from the very beginning how something might be easily useful and enjoyable for as many individuals as possible accessibility traditionally means making special considerations for people with disabilities it's the difference between designing a watch that can be read by touch or sight and taking a standard analog watch and adding braille instead of numbers okay if you take a standard watch and just make it braille that's what they're saying is that's accessibility so it's like you've got a watch that normally is for sighted people yeah you make it braille and then okay so a a blind person could see it that's accessible but it's an afterthought right you've taken the watch and you've added braille and what they're saying is that inclusive design is thinking from the start how might someone that doesn't have sight interact with this device and just literally making you able to touch you know the hands or i don't know some doing it in a different way okay basically is inclusive design and i think that's an interesting way of thinking for 2019 I agree with this. I think this sounds good. Does it say what you should do with the watch? Um, it just says, the first example considers the functionality and beauty of a watch that doesn't require sight, while the second example tries to take something designed for vision and make it work for touch without addressing some of the problems this modification creates. Uh, unlike assistive devices, inclusive design doesn't specifically target people with disabilities. While assistive devices fill in the gaps left by exclusionary design practices, inclusive design aims to evolve products beyond their conventional definitions. Okay. How do you think we're going to see this changing websites and apps? I don't know. Because the problem we've got is that the web is built upon a series of standards. And I feel like something as fundamental as that needs to apply at the standards level. I think it already kind of does. The web guidelines that we have now are all about making sure that the content of the web is accessible for everyone, no matter what your ability. But it, but is it? Because like this article said, you know, the way that the web is accessible right now is mostly through assistive devices that fill in the gaps left in exclusionary design, right? The, 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 the whole idea of a screen reader is that is an assisted device to fill in the gaps left by an exclusionary design. Adding things like ARIA tags, that's not a design from the ground up that works for everyone. It's an adaptation 
ARIA tags are an adaptation that just make a website work. They're not useful to anyone. It's just an afterthought adaptation, right? Yeah, true. But it's at its very core, if you were to take some content, some text content, put it on a web page, don't add anything else, it's already accessible. It's already responsive. Everyone can see it, read it. Their choice of how they read it is going to be different. Obviously, if you're blind and you're using a screen reader, it will be read out to you. But that's just a choice, like a choice of browsers. I feel so like I- a really good illustration this have you seen that website that's called the best mother effing website it's just the default tags there's no styling and they're right they say it works for for everyone it's lightweight it's responsive it works in all browsers it can be read out of the screen reader if you want Google Home could probably read it out. Yeah. So that is the most default website. That is the web at its best. It's us, it's web developers who add extra complication and make these things worse. Sure. So at its nature, the web is brilliant. What we, I think, maybe should stop doing is adding all of these extra complications that we don't need to. Maybe that's the ultimate in inclusive design is just to just 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 HTML. Forget everything else. Go back to how it was in 1996. <laughs> Is 1996 a bit too early? I, don't, I can't actually remember when no, that's most people probably... sort of got the internet. Yeah, the internet was definitely around in 96, but was it popular? Were people online? I'm not sure. I found an example of Yahoo from 1996. Is it shocking? It's just text links. And the, those links are blue, just like you kind of expect a default link to be. Yeah. And the good thing about these blue links is that you know if it's blue and it's underlined, you know it's a link. And also when you click it, it goes purple, which means that you know that you've clicked it before. So if you've got a long list of links, you know which ones you've already clicked on because you can sort of see the progress. That means you'd have to click it again. So d- does the web give people too much choice? Should Should people have ever had CSS and the ability to complicate it? Yeah, but we have to use it wisely. In fact, what I just said about clicking a link and then showing a different style for visited, that's something that you don't often see right now very much. Yeah. And in fact, me, when I'm, this is quite bad, something that I do when I create a website, I'm given a design. I don't often think about what the visited state of a link looks like because we don't usually have that in the color palette from the designer. This website says that in 2019, good UX is no longer a selling point. It's gone from being a novelty, something that really helps a product stand out, to an expectation. We've reached a point where if a product or service provides a subpar user experience, the user will discard or replace it in a heartbeat. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If an experience is rubbish, you're not going to stick with it. No. You're going to ditch that mofo. Obsession with voice UI continues. I suppose in 2019, I am looking forward to using voice more just because it's already proved that it's very easy to use. I use it in the car. I use it for navigation. I use it to tell my phone to play a podcast. Uh, I can use it to play music at home when I'm just lazy and in bed. I notice you've got a Google Home in your toilet. This is true. Well, I should say bathroom. Yeah. Uh, What do you use that for? Uh, it's well when you're in the shower it's just nice to say play some Phil Collins right and I can <laughs> sing along yeah to You Can't Hurry Love okay it's, it's quite nice as well if you're sat on the loo in the morning and you want to know what the weather's going to be that day you can just you know yeah I always plan my day from the uh, from the toilet it's the starting point of my day <laughs> so that's where I like to set up my mindset for the day Apparently, Deloitte predicts that the smart speaker industry will be worth $7 billion in 2019, which represents a 63% growth from 2018, and making smart speakers the fastest growing device category, uh, sorry, 
yeah, connected device category worldwide in 2019. So this says, um, at the moment, people are mainly using it to play music and check the weather. But if it's going to have an impact on people's lives, then they need to become more useful beyond that. So um, I think it is pretty useful. I use mine too. Yeah watch tv uh, but then i suppose a lot of people don't know that you can do these things oh, you also need the other parts of the puzzle right you can only do that yeah. because you have a chromecast connected to your tv true i can only can control my lights because i've got the wi-fi plugs i noticed at christmas there was a lot of adverts on tv about alexa and one was a device that allows it to control your tv and i can imagine a lot of people going for that because amazon's now shown them how it works and it's a device that plugs straight into the tv does it what's this device Amazon Fire Stick? I'd... Oh, okay, so you can talk to Amazon Fire Stick. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, totally. I assume it's the equivalent to a Chromecast. So yeah. it's doing exactly what I do talking to the TV, but you're talking to Alexa instead. I think it's slightly different because I I'm, I could be totally mistaken here, but the Fire Sticks that I've seen, you press a button on the remote and then you talk into the remote and it's separate, oh, it's separate to Alexa. Well, it's like Alexa, but in the device itself. Yeah, but you I have don't... to find the device... I don't know. It might be connected. For all I know, it might be connected to the actual separate Alexas. It probably is. The I reason, haven't used it. The reason why I like Google Home is that you don't have to have the device there. You can shout from across the room if the remote's lost, and you can still pause the TV or play the TV, rewind two minutes, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I imagined that some people watching this advert about Alexa might be completely blown away that you can control it with your voice. Whereas for me, because I've had this now for quite maybe a year by now but for some people they haven't maybe caught on to that maybe because they don't know that that technology is here now and available so i wondered if some people thought that, that was a, a huge revelation apparently device agnostic experiences will be a new thing in 2019 what do you mean by that going from a phone to a voice assistant is going to become more seamless apparently i think that kind of works if you buy if you're already buying into the one system so i've got an android phone which is made by google and my Google Home and a Google, is... And a Google Chromecast. And a Google Chromecast. That all makes sense. But if I had an iPhone, which is made by Apple, and then an Alexa made by Amazon, then I don't think those things really work together. I don't really know what they would do. I guess what it means, though, if you're building experiences to run on these devices, what it means is that, like, say you were uh, are making the Netflix app, Mm-hmm. What they're saying is that you should be able to control that on an iPhone with Siri or with going into the app itself and the functionality should be the same, but it you just different ways of accessing it, right? So it's device agnostic. Oh, I see. Yeah, that would um, that would be useful. Which is kind of true today, like you said, with your Google devices. You could start something playing from BBC iPlayer from casting from your phone or you could ask Google for it on the Assistant or you can, you know, perhaps use an app through your TV. You, there's a number of ways you can get to the same content. Yeah, so... That, so... You're saying that it should be up to me to choose which way I'd prefer to use it. Mm-hmm. Good design doesn't force users to pick up the device that designers want them to pick up. Good design gives users the best of what a company has to offer on the device that the user wants to use at that point in their journey. That's a quote from Marley Mesibov. Mesibov? I don't know. Okay. And I do this at, at my house. So if, if I want to play something on TV, if I've got my phone nearby, I might pick up my phone and play something if I, if i've got the tv remote in my hand i'll use a tv remote to get to youtube i'm not that bothered i might even ask google for it on for the google home i'm not yeah i just know i want that content and the great thing is i don't have to think about which device to use i just pick the nearest one up yeah i'll use my phone to browse through netflix or now tv but if i know exactly what i want and it happens to be on netflix i'll use my voice we, we've mentioned but... this before haven't we that voice 
The problem with voice is that it ruins discoverability. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you need to great have a seat. for accessing the stuff that you already know. Yeah, and we we had that thing as well. It was that music one, wasn't it? That someone compared a chart of music that's most popular on Spotify chosen by a user interface versus Spotify voice controlled. Yeah. The albums on the user interface included loads of new music and interesting music, but on voice control, it was all old stuff because it's what people could think of. Yeah, people ask. In the moment of asking for an album, they're like, I don't know, oh, that old favourite James Blunt one. Yeah, they pick different things. Can we do a shout out to our new Twitter followers? Yes, please. Okay, we have Jeremy Brown. Hello, Jeremy Brown. Don't say their name every time. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this could get a bit long. Okay, go on. Rebecca Hugo. Hello. Jack Hanna. Hello. Heather Coles. Hello. Ryan Weaver. Hello. Scott Criswell. Hello. Polly O-A-U. I don't know how you pronounce that. Oh, I don't know. We'll look it up so we're not ignorant. And Chi-Chi. Oh, okay. Hello. Veronica Wagenet. Hello. Fredo Lachlan. Hello. Fredo Lachlan. Hello again. Don't say it again. I'm saying that so that I can cut it out because I've said it wrong. <laughs> Veronica Wagenet. Hello. Fredo Lachlan. Hello again. Don't say hello again. <laughs> I just did it to wind you up. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to start. I'm going to start right at the start. Fredo Lachlan. Hello. <laughs> Yazin Akawi. Hello. Aidan Philpott. Hello. Heather Wright. Hello. Scott Holden. Hello. Gil Bronick. Hello. And Matthew Cox. Hello. We had a lovely tweet, didn't we, since last uh, since the last podcast? We had some nice tweets, actually. I know. People are actually listening, which is bizarre. Well, I don't know if they're listening. They're just saying things. Okay, so Doug Collins says, uh, I really enjoyed listening to the Unusable podcast lately. It's fun and informative and gets you thinking about practical usability problems from a different perspective. I don't know why I'm reading it as if I'm reading a child's book. <laughs> it's well worth a listen. Jennifer Aldrich also tweeted us saying, I just listened to your latest episode and loved it. The topics were fantastic and your laughter is 100% contagious. I laughed so hard, I was in tears twice. Only you... twice? What do you mean only twice? <laughs> How do you feel about that? You've reduced someone to tears, Andy. <laughs> Brilliant content and hilarious banter is tech podcast perfection. Amazing work, gentlemen. Marie Williams says, same here. I listened to your last two episodes. I was really curious to hear about dark patterns and anti-patterns. And you are my new favourite. I learn new things and get entertained at the same time. Like totes. Well, this is nice. It is nice. Yeah. And Matthew Cox says, you guys had me rolling with the Mars bar slash dog turd comparison. That was my favourite one. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Did you get anything interesting for Christmas, David? That sounds so staged. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me again, properly this time. David? Yes? Did you get anything interesting for Christmas? I got a Sega Mega Drive. Okay. Oh, I brought it around to your house. You've seen it. Yeah, um, but I am I was feigning... Feigning interest, thanks. No, feigning <laughs> that I hadn't heard it before for the benefit of the <laughs> listeners. I was I was acting on behalf of our listeners as an interested party in, your, in what you're about to say. Right, okay. I've got this Sega Mega Drive and it's got 81 games on it it's got some good ones some classics some things that i was really interested in uh, i was really looking sonic forward to 2. sonic 2 the best brilliant sonic. game yeah no one can argue that uh i think sonic 3 is better whoa controversial <laughs> <laughs> but some of the games some of the games are really quite strange and they've obviously been converted from japanese into english uh the reason why i can tell this 
is one of the games, it's a memory game. It's a really simple game. It's called Yawning Triceratops, right? Okay. Okay, and it has these Triceratops on the screen and they yawn in sequence. And so it's a memory game. They will yawn in sequence and you have to press them in order. This sounds boring. It is It is very boring. It's not a great game, but okay. it's just it's something that's on there. It's, I don't know, maybe it was created for kids. But one thing that was I found interesting about it if you got it wrong, if you got the sequence wrong, there would be a blue cross. Okay, nothing okay. unusual about that. But if you got it right, there would be a red circle. Oh, hold on. I think I've seen this before. This is a Japanese thing. And this is a cultural thing. So where we would have a V, uh, sorry, a, a tick. A green tick. A green tick. Green means good, usually, Which in our culture. Which actually has evolved over time because people used to mark veritas on something that's correct, right? That's it, yeah. So, so veritas is v for, Latin v for, for, for truth. Yeah. Uh, so that's where the tick came from. But in Japan, obviously a very different culture, they are used to seeing this round circle instead. And so I, I looked this up and I saw this article which had exam results and things were circled in red. And I immediately thought, oh, that must be bad. But actually that means good. If something's circle, it's a red circle, yeah. is good. Did you know that's why the symbols on a PlayStation controller are cross and circle? Oh, really? Yeah. Is the circle yes and then the cross no? I think it's how it started. I'm not sure if it still is today because there's lots of Western developers. But if you look at it, red circle, blue cross. But it also has a triangle. Well, there are obviously the other extra buttons because they needed four buttons. But those two buttons are the ones that are always used for yes and no in the menus of a PlayStation. I think it's the other way around. I think, because I've got a a PlayStation Blue cross is accept. Yeah. I think blue cross is usually accept or enter or progress. Whereas the red circle is usually back or no. Maybe I have like westernized defaults yeah i wonder if we can yeah the cross or x and circle buttons are simple enough to decipher the circle represents go or okay as is its use in japan and the cross represents no or cancel comically western games have managed to reverse the commands over time (laughs) and i'm fairly certain that i have played an old playstation game yeah and on that game I was confused because the buttons were the wrong way around, or I, what I felt were the wrong way around. Oh, it was right, circle yeah. for yes and blue for no. That confused me, but now it makes perfect sense because I think, like I said, Western developers have just over time gone, it makes more sense for the blue button to be confirmed. I've got a little usability story to tell you, actually. Okay. So I went to a health spa, which is the sort of place where you get in a little dressing gown, not a little little dressing gown, a normal size dressing gown, and you can go to the pool, you can go to a sauna, you can go to a steam room, you can have a treatment and a massage, that sort of thing. Anyway, we had to put our coats, shoes, things like that in a locker. And so you're given this wristband okay and this had like probably an rfid chip or something in like that to swipe against your locker and unlock the locker okay but it had a sort of weird process where what you had to do first is go to a separate device so you walk in to the locker room you swipe against this separate machine and he goes your locker number is 319 and i go okay so then i have to walk over to locker 319 and i swipe my wristband against the locker the locker sort of springs open well the, the locker lock springs open and then i can open it and then when i'm done i swipe it again against my wrist and then i can twist it closed and then it's completely locked yeah i'm with you and that 
that that worked it worked mostly very well but there was one slight problem with it now because the number seemed to be designated by a computer it puts me right next to someone else who was also using his locker ah, okay and this was quite okay. a large room yeah, yeah yeah and if a computer hadn't assigned me that locker i would have gone somewhere else i'd have given him space to get changed and i would have you know had my own space to get changed but i had to sort of squeeze past this guy who was getting undressed and at one point was fully naked and I'm just like sort of squeezing past him to get very close to my locker. <laughs> now, I was a little bit closer to a naked man that I wanted to be there because a computer chose a number. and I Probably just the next number in the sequence. Exactly, the next number in the sequence. Does that mean that locker's like number one, like is guaranteed to be set? That's really worn out. But locker like 999 never gets... Oh, interesting, seen. yeah. <laughs> never gets to see usage. But I, I thought that it would have been better to... Randomise it. Randomise it. Surely, yeah. surely the best thing would be just to... Why do you even need that system? Just go up to any empty locker and just swipe your wrist and then that's yours then until you log out of it. I don't understand why it needs to tell you one to go to. Don't know. Maybe it's pre-programmed actually. Maybe this wristband was always going to be 319 and maybe the, the device just told me that. But why do you need that? To be honest, it does seem over-engineering. You know, why? Who? what benefit does this provide? Why not just have an old lock and key system? Because the lock and key you have to keep it on your wrist and it has a big chunky key doesn't it have you seen those sort of lockers yeah true systems or another one that I've seen in the past is you put a pound coin in or a 50p coin in but then you still get a key anyway and then you still get a key and I'd rather not have that big chunky key because it's something quite clumsy to no to remembering a pound coin for a locker in a, a changing room is annoying it is annoying isn't it yeah because sometimes I don't have in fact I don't like to have much change on me who uses change these days no I when I recently went on my trip to America that we talked about in the last podcast we we did our whole trip and didn't see a coin or a note in the whole trip we did it all, everything on uh, on card oh yeah our, our mutual friend Doug said to me the other day that he's going to go completely coinless and just use his contactless card permanently that's what he said I wonder how, how far could you go because you've gone a whole holiday there without needing change and physical money a guy that I work with doesn't carry money on him just uses his uh, use his phone to swipe. Well, I generally do, but there is always the odd occasion. There's, you know, there's a car park I like to use in Derby that only accepts coins. Yeah. Also, if you go somewhere like a market, they might not have a, a contactless yeah. card machine. Anyway, that is the end of the podcast. If you have seen or used something unusable recently, like a website or an app, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at podcast at theunusable.com and we are on Twitter at Unusable Podcast and we will be tweeting uh, links to articles that we've mentioned in this episode as well. So have a look at that and follow us, please. That would be very nice. If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode, we talked about cultural differences around the world that affects user experience. And on YouTube, there's a funny video of Andy opening... A terrible Christmas present. Music is by Gold5472. Okay, that's it for now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.